morning, everybody. It's great to see you all out this morning, and um, my name is Jeff, and if this is your first time at Good News Gathering, I'm the teaching pastor here, and um, I just want to begin by saying I hope that all of you had a very happy uh, Thanksgiving, and I hope that sometime over the past few days, you took a little time to thank God for the blessings that he's given you. And you know, when you think about the blessings that we've received, there are some blessings that are just kind of so basic that we tend, unfortunately, to kind of take them for granted. For example, the, the, the blessing of life itself. I mean, think about it. We all woke up this morning, okay? That's a blessing. And the blessing of health. Everybody here is at least reasonably healthy enough to get here to be able to get out of their home and out of their bed or out of a hospital or whatever, you're, you're here. What a blessing that is. And those blessings that you and I share in common, blessings that really aren't so common in many parts of the world, blessings like the blessing of freedom, the blessing of living in a land where we can gather together and worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience, as our founding fathers said, without fear of government intervention. What a blessing that is. The blessing of being protected around the clock by service men and women who are stationed all over the globe. And law enforcement people who are right here locally. And first responders who... When called upon, risk their lives for ours. Those are tremendous blessings that we all have. And friends, we've got a lot to be thankful for. Now, as we kind of turn the page and enter the Christmas season, if you're new to G&G, you're coming at a time that is incredibly important and special in the life of this church family. At this time of year, we pause celebrate the greatest blessing that God in his infinite goodness has given to mankind, and that is the blessing of his son. And here at Good News Gathering, we celebrate that blessing in a number of ways. And like I said, if you're new to us, just point out just a couple of ways that we celebrate that. First, each year we set aside our December lesson series to really examine both the facts and the ramifications of Christ's entry into the world, the Christmas account. And what does it mean for us 2,000 years after the fact? How important is it? What difference does it make? Secondly, during the Christmas season, this church family lives out in a very practical way Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. This is extremely important to us. You may be wondering, okay, well, well, how exactly do you do that? Let me give you a couple examples. First, next Saturday is our annual Christmas free sale. And you may be wondering, okay, what's a free sale? If you haven't been around here, you, you may be wondering that. Well, it's like a yard sale, only different. <laughs> Actually, it's like a yard sale, only we give everything away, okay, um, for free. And the G&G family 
gathers together and donates toys and clothing and household items, and we give them away to people in need, okay? Now, they just brought the lights up, and the reason that they did that is because I would like you to get in your bulletin and take out this insert that you see, okay? It's a half sheet. And, and if you'll take that out and you'll turn to the side that's the, up at the top says Christmas Free Sale, um, I'd just like to, to make sure and point that out to you so that you'll take some time to read that very carefully at some point here today um, because it answers many of the most commonly asked questions about the free sale, like can I donate items and what kind of condition do they need to be in or um, can, you know, when can I donate them, when can I bring them and, and can I volunteer and, and all those kinds of questions are answered in, in detail in that. Um, but let me give you three ways that you can help this year's free sale be a success, okay? And the first one is this. Um, if, if God calls you to do so, um, make a monetary donation. And, and here's, here's what I'm driving at here. Um, the, the extension team and the free sale team have indicated to me that they normally spend about $15 per child that comes through our doors uh, getting gifts and, and things like that for them. And so any donations that we receive enable our extension team to purchase gift items in bulk. So if you don't want to go out and buy something yourself, you can just donate money here and then they will go out and they will purchase items in bulk and it obviously saves a lot of money. And you can drop your vote donation off at the extension counter, which is right outside these double doors here in the atrium. Um, also, the second thing is to volunteer during the week, okay? Now, typically we have lots of volunteers for the free sale on Saturday, but where we could really use a lot of help is from Tuesday through Thursday, getting the items laid out and sorting clothes and, and sorting the toys and household items and those, those kinds of things, getting it all set up for the weekend. The ministry center is open all day, and if you can spare an hour or two here or there, it would be a huge help if you would stop by and help us out with that. Also, thirdly, volunteer to clean up. Like I said, we typically have lots, lots of people that want to volunteer for the free sale because it's just so much fun. Um, but, but sometimes everybody kind of splits when, when noon hits. And, and it really is helpful to us if we have a good crew of people to, to basically put the place back together so we can have service in here next Sunday. And when we have a good number of people help out with that, Sometimes it's taken less than an hour to get everything back to normal. So, so friends, this is really a golden opportunity for you to be involved in sharing God's love with people who are in need in our community. And um, we really enjoy doing that. And it's also a great way to start off your Christmas season. And if you can involve your kids, it teaches them tremendous life lessons about service and um, about giving to others. And another way we follow Christ's command to love our neighbors is this. During our Christmas Eve services, and we have two of those coming up uh, on, on December the 24th, all donations that are given on Christmas Eve go to our extension ministry, which extends Christ's love to those in need in our community through our mission partners in the community and also our mission partner in Haiti. In other words, all the money that's given on Christmas Eve goes out. None of it pays bills here or salaries or anything like that. It all goes out into the community. 
And um, as you know, we don't pass a plate or anything like that. We, we do giving the way we normally do it on a Sunday. Um, but that is just a tremendous opportunity to be a blessing to our community uh, through your giving. And so um, if you'd like to do that, that, that would be awesome. Now, <clears throat> if you're new to us, one of the things that you will learn if you hang around here for very long is that this church has a church is a church with a generous heart. And we believe that's what Christ has called us to be. And so we do our very best to live that out, and even especially so at this time of year. Now, if you take out your outline, it's a white sheet with holes punched on the side. You received one of those when you walked into the auditorium. We're beginning our Christmas lesson series entitled Follow the Star. And if you just kind of hold on to that, outline for just a few moments. We'll get to it uh, here just shortly. But when you think about it, and you think about the Christmas account, it's filled with a host of fascinating characters. You have everything from inspiring angels on the one hand to humble shepherds on the other. You have a ruthless king on the one hand and this peasant couple on the other. You have wise men who are far from home, all the way to a hometown innkeeper who has no room available. As if that isn't enough, you also have this strange star, a star that nobody in Jerusalem, which is only six miles away, and is the center of the religious and political, I mean, it's the hub of the nation. It's the capital city. But nobody there seems to have seen it. Nobody noticed. And yet it was a star that was in some way so different, or perhaps so brilliant, or maybe so eye-catching, that it captured the attention of stargazers at least a thousand miles away. It's amazing. And something about that star led them to believe that it was more than just a random star that somehow went unnoticed in the night sky. It was a star, yes, but it was also a sign, not just a star. And that star uncommon among all the other stars in the heavens, seemed to move, to set a course, a direction. This wasn't a star simply to be observed. Its trajectory across the sky to be plotted and and charted and documented like the Big Dipper or Orion's Belt. No, this was a star that called out to a particular group of people. We know them as wise men. That star beckoned them. It was a star to be followed. No matter where it took them, no matter how far it took them, no matter how long it took them. And when they finally arrived in Jerusalem, they asked what for months they must have thought was the most reasonable question on earth. 
They ask, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. I mean, I mean they're asking, where, where is he? The one. You know, the one and only. The star we've been following is leading us. It's showing us the way to him. I can imagine them thinking, we've come all this way. Where is he? Show us the way to him. And you know, it's interesting when they found them, that babe born in Bethlehem, they found the real star of Christmas. Not a star in the heavens, but the Son of God who came into the world. The real star of the Christmas story. That babe that the wise men came to worship would grow up to speak what I believe to be the most important words ever spoken in human history. Now, you may agree with me, you may not. You may think, well, other people said stuff that matters. But think about this. And maybe if you think about it for a minute, maybe even if you don't agree with me, maybe at least you'll understand why I think these are the most important words ever spoken. There are focus verse for this lesson series. Let's all recite them together. They're up here on the screens. Here we go. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wow. These are the words of the babe of Bethlehem, the child that is celebrated all across the world at Christmas. And I don't know about you, but those are some tough, tough words. I mean, think about it. Without question, this is the boldest and most exclusive claim ever made. And it impacts every single person on earth. In fact, let's recite it again. Okay? Here we go. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Think about those words. For those who believe, for those who accept Jesus as the one sent by God, it motivates them to share the good news of God's love so that others can find the way to the Father and the way to be included in his family. But for many who do not believe, it is a statement that excludes. It's a statement that draws lines in the sand. 
It's a statement that's bigoted toward those who choose some other way. It's a statement that is considered hateful to those who believe there is no way at all and no father anyway. I mean, if you just read it, there's no denying. It's exclusive. In fact, six times in the book of Acts, which is the Bible's history book of the early church about the first 30 years of the growth and spread of the church after Jesus left the earth, Christianity is referred to as the way. And Christians were known as followers of the way before they were ever even called Christians. Why? Because they believed Jesus is the way to the Father. Not a way. Not one way among many ways. The way. You see, you realize that if this statement is true, if Jesus meant what he said then Jesus is the one and only link between human beings and God. He's it. There's no other way. There's no other link. Of course, if it's not true, then the babe of Bethlehem grew up to be the biggest liar in human history. True. Or perhaps he simply suffered from delusions of grandeur. But either way, every single person on earth has to deal with that statement. Now, the title of today's lesson is The Way the way and each week during this series we're going to examine each aspect of Jesus bold statement through the lens of the Christmas account through the eyes of those wise men who traveled over a thousand miles to find the one born king of the Jews let's go to God in prayer Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to spend in your word and for this opportunity to examine the birth of your son and what it means to us 2,000 years later. Father, please help us to think clearly Help us to clear away any distractions so that we can focus our attention on you and your word. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now friends, when you you think of the word way, okay, and Jesus' statement, I am the way, and no one comes to the Father except through me, 
the way means something very special. And there in the box at the top of your outline, we're going to define this word way for purposes of this morning's lesson as follows. Here we go. The way is a direction. It's a direction. Or it's a route. Or perhaps a path. Which one takes in order to reach a desired end. Okay? Now, my wife and I have a, have a running joke that every time she and I go anyplace new, there is at least one time that we have to turn around. Because in, I'm, I'm directionally challenged. She's much better at, at directions than I am. And, and yet, we somehow always manage to get lost at least once. And at some point, one of us says the magic words, I think we're going the wrong way. In other words, there's a right way and there's a wrong way if we want to get where it is we want to go, okay? And when you think about what Jesus said when he said, I am the way, he's saying if your desired end is to get to God, if that's what you want to do, I'm the direction you need to head. I'm the route you got to take. I'm the path you need to be on. I am the way. And the story of the wise men who found the babe and followed that star to him goes like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. So it says after, sometime after Jesus was born. And, there's no, and the Bible doesn't exactly indicate how long this was after Jesus was born. Some scholars believe it could have been as much as two years after he was born. But after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So these, these magi, and, and the word magi simply means, you might want to write this in, in the corner of your, in, in, or in the margin of your outline, wise men. These magi, the, you may be wondering, well, well, who were these guys? It says they came from the east. What, what, where's the east? And how did they know about a king born for the Jewish nation? I mean, if they came from the east... And it would appear that they came from a long way. I mean, it's not even their nation. So how do, how do they know about this king that's going to be born a thousand miles away? Now, because they're referred to as magi or wise men, scholars believe they came from the east, which is hundreds of miles away. And according to the ancient Greek historian, a guy by the name of Herodotus, who actually lived about 400 years before Christ, he recorded in one of his histories that the Magi were a tribe of philosopher-priests in an area of the world known as Media. Now, that Media today is in modern-day Iran. In fact, the, one, of the, one of the major cities in that area is really, would, would have been very close to where Tehran is now. 
Now, some scholars believe that they were elders in the Babylonian or Persian empires who were schooled in philosophy and medicine, in science and astronomy. And they get that, they get that idea from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. So you may be wondering, well, how would these people who apparently don't appear to be Jewish, how do they know about this, about a king being born in, in the Jewish nation, and why would they make this trip? Okay, great question. Well, the nation of Israel, which had grown steadily stronger under its greatest king, which was King David, divided after the death of his son, King Solomon. Now, this happened about 930 years before Jesus walked the earth. And when the kingdom divided, it divided into two kingdoms, which became known as the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. The Southern Kingdom was the kingdom that had its capital in the city of Jerusalem. Now, the northern kingdom was ruled by a succession of very evil kings, and God finally had enough, and the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. was conquered by the Assyrian Empire, and many of its people were relocated to a region known as Media. You see it there on the right-hand, upper right-hand side, the Median Empire. It stretched down to where that dot is, and what happened in, in, after the, the um, northern kingdom was conquered is the people of the northern kingdom, and you see that green line? Many of the people of the northern kingdom were transferred out. They were relocated over into that area near that town or that city of Ekbatana. Now, you may be wondering, why did they take such a circuitous route? It's because right in the center of that area, where you see the red dot now, and even going north from that, is what's known as the Arabian Desert. It was uncrossable at that time. And so they would have to transport these people, and actually they they forced them to walk, along rivers, and when they got across over around the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers, they would go along the river so they would have water supply. Now, just to go straight, if you were able to go straight across from Jerusalem or that area to, to the, the Median Empire, it would be about five or, five or so hundred miles. But because you have to go around the desert, it's over a thousand miles. Now, the southern kingdom, between 606 and 586 B.C., was conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And many of its people were relocated to Babylon. You see that on the red line. They They were forcibly removed as captives and taken to Babylon. Now for those of you who are doing a Bible reading plan, you may remember the Old Testament character of Daniel and also Ezekiel. They were both relocated to the city of Babylon down on the lower right-hand side. Daniel, you may recall, ended up becoming a leader in that empire. He was like a leader over a number of governors, guys who ruled over different provinces. There's another city that had a significant Jewish population as well, and that's the city of Susa, there on the right. 
For those of you that have been reading your Bibles, you may have heard of Queen Esther. That's where she lived. You may have also read the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. That's where he lived. Both of them had high roles in government. So these areas had significant numbers of Jewish exiles who carried with them their history and even perhaps copies of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, which include Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, books written 1,400 years before Christ. And in the book of Numbers, it says this, the prophecy of Balaam of Beor, The prophecy of one whose eye sees clearly. The prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open. So this is a prophet who says, I have a vision from God. And what is it? He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near In other words, this prophet is seeing somebody who is coming, but he's not here yet. It's sometime in the future. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter, which a scepter is a a staff that a, a king or somebody in high power holds. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A ruler will come out of Jacob. Now these words by the prophet Balaam would have been in the books that traveled to these areas. Now the Bible doesn't tell us exactly where these wise men came from. But whether they came from Media, which you see there, the green line coming from that area near Ekbatana, over to Jerusalem, or whether they came from Babylon or Susa, they had to make a journey of over a thousand miles following the river routes around the Arabian Desert. It was a journey that would have taken many months. Now the Bible also doesn't tell us how many wise men there were. Many of us assume there were three because there's a mention of three gifts, but the Bible does not say that. The Bible also doesn't tell us if they had an entourage. That would be likely, considering that Magi had an esteemed position in ancient culture. They were the most educated, the most sophisticated, and held high power in cultures of the East. Now, the impact of these people when they rode into Jerusalem was immense. It says when King Herod heard this, when he heard these magi had rolled into town and they were asking, where's the king of the Jews? He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, In the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. The prophet Micah had written this prophecy 700 years before Christ. And some of you may be thinking, well, if they knew that other prophecy, why didn't they know this? Well, it's quite possible it's because this one was written so much later 
That prophecy may not have been available when those people were removed out of Palestine. It says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Now this is why many people believe that Jesus may have been as much as two years old. Because when he asked the Magi, When the star appeared, he's thinking back, well, that that child could have been born any time after that star appeared. And so when he gave the order to kill all the male infants in Bethlehem, he told them, kill them all from two years down. But then he sent them, the Magi, to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now we know that he had no intention of worshiping this child. His intention was to destroy the child. But the Bible tells us this. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And you know, there's, there's an acid. This is one of those times when I wish the Bible gave us more facts because I almost wonder, why did these guys stop in Jerusalem? They'd been following this star for a thousand miles probably at least And yet they stopped in Jerusalem and started asking around instead of just continuing to follow the star. Because the Bible tells us that the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place. Bethlehem is six miles due south of Jerusalem. And I wonder if these magi so expected The one who was born to be king of the Jews had to be in the capital. He just had to be in the center of the political and religious life of that nation. He couldn't be born in some hamlet that's out of the way. But the Bible indicates they followed that star and when it stopped over the house where the child was, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And you know, I think about this story and I think, I wonder what the conversation was when these guys rolled into Bethlehem. When they figured out the house where this child was and they met Mary and Joseph, I wonder, what did they talk about? And I wonder, what did they learn by following the star? And what can you and I discover about God by following that star? And friends, I think the very first thing that we can learn is we can learn when we follow the star, we can learn the way God wants to interact with us. 
the way that he wants to interact with you and the way that he wants to interact with me. I mean, I think about this conversation. The wise men and probably an entourage roll into this sleepy hamlet called Bethlehem and can you imagine what the neighbors thought? Can you imagine the gossip that was going on? Who are these guys? What are they doing here? Who are they looking for? Why are they going to Mary and Joseph's house? What's the big deal? And I can imagine the, <laughs> the magi looking at this baby and thinking, this looks like an ordinary baby. Born to ordinary parents in an out-of-the-way village. This doesn't look like the heir to a throne. This child isn't hidden away in a palace somewhere, removed from the masses. This baby is just right out there in public. And you know, it's not so different from when he grew up. Think about it. When he grew up, people asked, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? I mean, the guy had four brothers. Aren't his sisters here with us? So, plural, so he had at least two. So the guy at least has, he's one of seven. What does that tell us about how God wants to interact with us? He sent his son into a family. Relating to his mom and dad and brothers and sisters. Ordinary, just like all of us. Not only that, but later on when he grew up and he, and he assembled a group of followers around him. He made this comment. He said, greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a f- servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, circle this word, friends. I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And friends, I wonder if it, if it dawned upon the wise men that God sent his son to establish a personal relationship with you and with me and with them. He came into the world as a person who has relationships with other people. And God sent his son to establish a personal relationship with each one of us. Wow. Isn't that amazing that the God of the universe, the creator of everything that is you, me, and everything we see around us wants to have a personal relationship with us? There's another thing. In addition to discovering how God wants to interact with us, By following the star, I think we can discover the way God identifies with you and with me. 
the way he identifies with us. You know, I think the the wise man must have wondered, what does the future hold for this child? I mean, he doesn't look or live like a king. I mean, we just met the king. He's living six miles up the road in the capital city in a palace with soldiers, all these obvious signs of power. And this child has none of that. And you know, I wonder if Mary and Joseph told them about the fact that this was a virgin birth. I wonder if they told them. And I wonder if they thought, maybe this king is going to be different. A king, yes, but not a political king, not a power person in that respect, more like a priest king, more like a spiritual king. You know, the writer of the book of Hebrews said it this way. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, God identifies with us. And he sent his son to experience life. He sent his son to experience life in a fallen world as I experience it and as you experience it. Yet he was without sin. You see, God didn't just sit up in heaven and say, all you people out there in the world, in that sinful world, you're all bad people. He sent his son into this world. And friends... If you have experienced loss in this world, Jesus knows what that's like. He can identify with that because he lost loved ones. If you've experienced betrayal by friends, he identifies with that. If you've experienced failure he can identify with that if you've experienced getting to a point where you're so tired you don't think you can go on he experienced that he can identify with life in a fallen world yet he was without sin You see, by following the star, we can discover how he interacts with us and how he identifies with us. And by following the star, 
we can also discover the way God reconciles me to him and the way God reconciles you to him. You see, the Bible does not pull any punches about my condition in relation to God and your condition in relation to God. The Bible is incredibly brutally honest. And it says this, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. In other words, everyone, that's you and that's me. That's the Pope. That's Mother Teresa. That's Billy Graham. Everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And the prophet Isaiah said, your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Think of it this way. There's a canyon bigger than the Grand Canyon. It's a spiritual canyon. And I am on one side of that canyon, as are you. And God is on the other side of that canyon. And what separates you and me and every other person from God is sin. It's sin. Those decisions we make to think things that are out of God's will, to say things that are out of God's will, to act in ways that are outside God's will, to treat others in a way that's outside God's will. And the truth is we've all done it. We've all done it. The Bible says we've all sinned and we've all fallen short. And all sin leads to death. A death of some kind. In some cases, it's a physical death. We've all seen people make choices that led to their demise. But quite often, it's another kind of death. It's the death of a reputation. The death of a marriage. The death of a family. The death of a good name. All sin leads to death. And sin if it is not dealt with, leads to spiritual death, which is separation from God. But there's a way to overcome our sin problem. Romans 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news. It's the gift that God gave of His Son. He made a way for us to be reconciled or made right with Him. And the Bible says it this way. God is on one side and all people are on the other side. And Christ Jesus is between them to bring them together by giving his life for all mankind. You see, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he didn't come to stay a baby. He came to grow up and go to a cross for you. The Bible tells us God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God placed the sins of the world on his son on the cross. You see, the way to God is not a religion with a specific set of rituals that we have to observe in order to make ourselves right with God. 
The way to God is not a bunch of rules that we have to obey in order to earn God's favor. The way to God is a person, Jesus, the one sent by the Father to provide the way for us to overcome our sins. You see, God sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be made right with God. Friends, we don't get right by doing religious stuff and we don't get right with God by doing a bunch of good deeds. We are made right with God when belief, when we believe that God so loved you and me that he sent his son into the world so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We are made right with God when we admit our sins and ask forgiveness. We are made right with God when we are baptized, signifying our identification with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we are made right with God when we commit our lives to him. Now, friends, if you would, take out your Connect card, please. And I want to point your attention on the back of the Connect card to that box on the left-hand side. Because in just 14 more days, we have a baptism celebration coming up here at Good News Gathering. And I don't know where you are this morning in your spiritual walk. Maybe this morning you're not sure that Jesus is the way. And if that's true of you, I hope that maybe you'll check that box that says, I'd like information about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because I would love to sit down and talk with you about that and go over some of the questions that you have. But for some of you, you've discovered Jesus is the way and you believe that. We have this baptism coming up on December 15th. We've already had some people indicate that they're going to be baptized that day and we have more scheduled this week coming in to talk about that and we would love to talk about that with you as well. If you check that box, either one of those boxes, we'll give you a call this week and we'll get you set up to come in and talk about whatever decision you believe God is calling you to make. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent us a way, a way to get right with you, a way that is Jesus. Father, we thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. Help us, Father to follow the way. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.